Hey everyone, welcome to North Cross. We're so glad that you joined us for this special evening of remembrance. Good Friday is a special day when millions of Christians around the world remember the suffering and death of Jesus on the cross. But have you ever wondered why all the suffering? Why all the blood? Why did Jesus have to die? Well, that's exactly what we're going to talk about tonight. Why was Jesus' death needed? And what did Jesus' death accomplish? If you've ever been to a Good Friday service in person, you know that the mood is a little bit different. It's usually quiet, it's meditative, it's dark. You know, honestly, it's kind of heavy. And yet it's also filled with hope. That's the kind of online experience that we've created for you this evening. So we're happy that you joined us for this event. A couple things before we get started. We value your presence with us tonight, and if you had a moment to fill out a digital connection card, we'd love that. The other tip is this, if you could do whatever you could to minimize distractions as we join our hearts and minds to remember Jesus' sacrifice for you and for me on the cross. Before we begin, let's join our hearts in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity, even though we can't join together in person, that through the internet and through this online worship service, that we're able to together remember, first of all, our need for a Savior and the great lengths that Jesus went to suffer and to die in our place to suffer the punishment that we deserved. I pray that as your word is preached tonight, as it's spoken, and also as it's sung, that this be an evening of remembrance where we are in awe of the amazing grace and sacrifice of your son, Jesus, in our place. We pray all this in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.
We have gathered together tonight to celebrate and to remember a solution for you, for me, and for the entire world. But here's the thing. A solution isn't needed if a problem doesn't exist. Let me explain what I mean with a little story. Like you, our family has spent a lot more time in our house than we would normally because of the circumstances we're living in right now. And honestly, it's been a blessing in some ways. We've been able to reconnect and spend a little more time together, a little slower pace of life. And one of the things that we've been able to do together is to watch some TV shows and some movies. And my youngest daughter, Addie, has taken a liking to a TV show from the past, a series called Fixer Upper. Have you ever heard of it? It's a show with Chip and Joanna Gaines. And what they do is they help a couple buy a home that needs some upkeep and some remodeling. And then Joanna Gaines does what only Joanna Gaines can do. She does her magic and redesigns and fixes and, and makes this home entirely better, gives it a makeover. I have to admit, there's been more than one time that I've kind of been pulled into the show that Addie has been watching because as I've seen the house prior to Chip and Joanna getting there, I've wondered how and what will Joanna do for this house to make it better. And inevitably, it is better. It's better after Joanna and Chip do what they do. Now, let me paint a different scenario for you. I want you to imagine that you have decided to remodel and to fix up your home. And you've spent hundreds of dollars, thousands even, and spent hundreds of hours to fix it up. You've painted all the walls. You've put new decorations on the walls. You've bought brand new furniture, rearranged it. You've spent your blood, sweat, and tears to fix the outside. You've dug holes. You've moved rocks. You've planted shrubs. And you're all done. And it's not the perfect house necessarily, but you're happy with how it's turned out. <laughs> and then one day, you get a knock on your door. And as you open it on your patio or on your porch, standing Chip and Joanna Gaines. And they tell you that they saw some pictures of your home online, and they think that your house is a perfect candidate for fixer-upper, and for a Joanna Gaines makeover. How do you feel? Well, first of all, you're excited because it's Chip and Joanna Gaines. Magnolia magnificence. That's a good thing. But on the other hand, you're probably a little bit miffed. You're somewhat offended because you've put so much time and so much money in your home already. And when Joanna and Chip look at it, they see something that needs fixing. You know it's not perfect, but it's okay. It's pretty good. They think that it needs a makeover. You're happy to see the gains but you're not celebrating the solution they've brought in that moment because you have not understood or not seen the problem that they see. A solution 
isn't needed if a problem doesn't exist. Tonight, we've come to celebrate the suffering and death of Jesus on the cross. And as we look and think about the magnitude of the event, in order for us to understand it, we need to understand the magnitude of the problem. And so to do that, we're going to turn to some verses in Romans chapter 5. You know, the letter to the Romans, this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote in the first century to some Christians in Rome, it is a treasure of Scripture. It explains so clearly and so deeply the details of how you and I can have a relationship with God. It's an amazing solution that we've been given. And tonight, we're going to do something just a little bit different. We're going to bookend our service with these verses. I'm going to preach on the first few in chapter 5 right now. And then Pastor Matt is going to preach on the final few verses towards the end of the service. I'm going to preach through these words that share what the problem was. Matt's going to share through these verses what the solution is. I'm going to be law. He's going to be gospel. I'm going to be a downer. He's going to be hope. I'm going to be a thunderstorm. He's going to be sunshine. And so tonight we begin with Romans chapter 5, looking at the problem that needed a solution. Let's begin with verse 12. Here's how it goes. Paul writes, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death came through sin. In this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Paul writes that sin came into the world through one man. And what he's doing there is he's referencing the very first sin in the history of the world in the Garden of Eden. He's referencing Adam and his wife Eve. Many of you who are watching tonight may know the background to that very first sin. Let me recap it real quickly. God created a perfect world and a perfect garden for Adam and Eve to live in. And yet he gave them one thing that they shouldn't do. There was one tree in the middle of the garden that they weren't supposed to eat from. This abstaining from that tree was their way of showing God that they loved him. It was their way of showing that their way or act of worship towards God as they listened to his direction and obeyed. Well, that didn't last very long. You see, it didn't take long for Adam and Eve both to eat from that one tree that God told them not to. And in that way, Adam sinned and Eve sinned. But it wasn't just that they sinned, Paul writes. He writes that through their sin, sin came into the world. That sin came into the world and that everything changed. God's perfect creation, messed up, needing a makeover. And also, you and I, different than Adam and Eve when God created them. They created in God's image of holiness. Now you and I, born in the image of Adam and Eve, 
that is an image of sin. You know, we probably don't think a lot about how deep sin can run, but if we take time to pause and to think about it a little bit, we recognize just how big the problem is. You see, we like to think of ourselves as people who are by nature good. But what Paul is writing here and what I think you and I can will often recognize is that's just not the case. We are not by nature good. We are by nature sinners. Sometimes the Bible talks about that as being original sin or a a sinful nature that we have. That when we were born, not only did we quickly sin, we were born and conceived with sin in our hearts and in our lives. That sinful nature runs deep. And I suppose if we had a chance to think about that, or as you're considering what I'm sharing with you and what Paul did, one reaction we might have is this, that that's not fair. That's just not fair. How can that be? It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. Now, let me say this. I agree with you in some ways. In some ways, as I've had to digest this truth of original sin, it, I can understand why people might think it doesn't seem fair. But let me say it this way. Just because it doesn't seem fair doesn't necessarily mean or doesn't mean that it's not true. Let me give you another example. Um, let's say a, a child is born in abject poverty. That's not fair, is it? as I look around and see what I was born into and the the, the blessed earthly life that I was given even at my birth, it's not fair, but we know what happens. We, We still know it's true. Original sin is true. Let me ask this. And we've talked about this before. <laughs> How many of you had to take your child aside when they were one years old and, and teach them to be selfish and not share their toys? Not too many parents would ever think of doing that. How many of you had to teach your children how to sass their parents and hit their sibling? Maybe even gave them some words to share to sass mom. No, we would never do that. And yet somehow it happens. Or if we were by nature good, then why don't we just be good? You know, if that was possible, if we could just decide to be good all the time, counseling would be easy. Go there with your spouse, maybe for some marriage counseling, and the counselor sits on their chair and you share all the things that are going on and maybe be honest about some of the things that you're contributing to the situation and to the problem. And then the counselor, he or she would look at you. They take their glasses off their face. They kind of bite on the end a little bit, looking real wise, and then give you this very wise and deep advice. Stop it. Don't do that anymore. Don't do the things that cause the dysfunction and the problem in your relationship or in your marriage. And if we could just stop it, if it was that easy, well, counseling would be a lot cheaper and it wouldn't take so long. But the thing is, most of the time, we know our failures. 
we know the thoughts that lead us astray. We know the actions that we should change. But we don't. And the truth is, with some things and with many things, as hard as we try, we can't be the people that we want to be. This sin in us that Paul writes about, this problem that we have, it runs deep and it messes lots of things up. Paul continues in verse 13 when he says this, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. What, what Paul is saying here is that even before God gave the Ten Commandments through Moses and had a written account of what sin was, sin was still in the world. Even though people couldn't as easily understand God's will before his will was written down by Moses in the Ten Commandments, there was still sin in the world. And how do we know that? Verse 14. Nevertheless, it's because death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, who was the one whom God gave the Ten Commandments, death was around. Death reigned even over those who did not sin by breaking a command. See, death and the presence of death is the indicator that sin is present and that our problem runs deep. If there was no sin, there'd be no life insurance or health insurance. If there was no sin, there would be no COVID-19 or coronavirus. There would be no social distancing or quarantining. Life would be totally different if there was no sickness and there was no death. But our problem runs deep. And that problem not only causes challenges for you and I in our lives and in our relationships with other people, that problem also caused an issue with our relationship with God. The problem is so big of sin, so deep, and so critical that it caused there to be a separation of a good relationship with God. And when there is no good relationship with God, there is no hope for eternity. There is no heaven. There is no eternal life. A solution isn't needed if a problem doesn't exist. There is a problem and there is a solution that's needed. And before I close, I just love the very next verse here because it is going to be a springboard to the rest of the service and to the next part of the message. And it comes way out of the blue and not what you'd be expecting. Here's what he writes in verse 15, but a change of thought, a, a, a different direction, but 
the gift is not like the trespass. I told you I was going to be the thunderstorm. This hasn't been a fun message so far, has it? Talking about the depth of our sin and the the bigness of our problem. And and yet then Paul changes everything in verse 15 and he alludes to something that's going to be different. And instead of saying the punishment, he says, the gift. Like what gift do we deserve from a holy God? A squished banana? A piece of coal? A bike with bent tire rims? I mean, what type of gift do we deserve? Well, we deserve none. But God gave us one. What God decided to give, this gift, is what we celebrate tonight. He gave us the gift of his only begotten son who lived a perfect life. And tonight, we remember that gift's innocent death on our behalf. You see, a solution isn't needed if a problem doesn't exist. But, it's a big but, but, a solution can be celebrated when the problem is clearly understood. If there's anything in you right now that is longing and yearning for a solution to the problem that Paul pointed out and that we're feeling right now, well, then the rest of the service is going to be an amazing resolution of the solution that God gave. So right now, we're going to have an opportunity to confess that which we just talked about, our sin. You see, God doesn't want us to cover it up. He doesn't want us to ignore it. He doesn't want us to pretend that it's not there. He doesn't even want us to work towards trying to resolve it ourselves. Instead, he invites us and wants us to confess it to lay it at the foot of the cross and to bring those sins to him. There's going to be a responsive confession of sins that you'll find on the screen in just a moment. I will speak the first part of each part and then we'll join in with you as you speak from home the second part. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness, even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. 
Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from my guilt, O God, you who are my Lord and my Savior. God, our Heavenly Father, has heard our confession tonight on this Good Friday. And in love, he had a plan to do something about it. And so he sent his son, Jesus. And tonight, for the rest of our service, we are celebrating the work of Jesus on the cross for you and for me and for the entire world. This is the account of Jesus being taken to the cross. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. It was the third hour when they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left, and Jesus was in the middle. Thus the scripture was fulfilled, which says, he was counted with the lawless ones. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened above his head on the cross. The written charge against him read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. The sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them. They cast lots to see what each one would get. The undergarment remained. It was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, They divided my garments among themselves and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. The people, too, stood watching. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. Even the rulers sneered at him. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. 
For he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him heaped insults on him. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise.
In our second reading, we find Jesus still on the cross until that point that all sins are paid for and he gives up his spirit. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun had stopped shining. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. But the rest said, leave him alone now. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him and take him down. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he bowed his head and gave up his life. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. The centurion who stood there in front of Jesus and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened. They were terrified, yet they praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. Surely he was the Son of God. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him stood at a distance. They included many women who had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James the Younger, and Joseph and Salome, the mother of Zebedee's sons. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. I am a crown of thorns 
upon his head the father's heart displayed for us oh god we thank you for the cross lifted up on calvary's hill we curse your name and even still you bore our shame and paid the cost oh god we thank you for the cross behold the lamb story of redemption
Well, Ben, talk to you about the problem of sin, the problem of death. And now it's my honor to get to share with you some of the good news. Uh, I'm happy to be the sunshine for your evening here too. And uh, as Ben said, we're bookending this with two sections from Romans chapter 5. And as I looked at this second section that talks about the good news, the solution to our problem, part of me thought, this is really complicated, and how do I go through all of this and explain it in a way that makes sense and is useful and practical? But then as I thought about it, I realized that the beauty of the solution doesn't require me to make it clear to you. So what I want to do tonight is I simply want to open up what the Apostle Paul said and how he described the solution for me and for you. And then after I read this section, I'll tell a a quick story and then highlight a couple of the verses. So here's what the Apostle Paul said, Romans chapter 5, picking up where Ben left off in verse 15. It says, but the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died By the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one act of righteousness resulted in justification and life for all people. That's the good news for me, and that's the good news for you. Um, So a, a quick story. This takes me back several years to when Amy and I lived in a different house in a different state, Uh, We were not making a lot of money at that time, and so any house projects that had to be done were basically fix-it-yourself projects. And one day we realized there was an issue with our house that was built in the 1950s. Um, We noticed that in our bathroom there was some moisture coming uh, out of the wall, not like a trickle, not like a gush of water, just a little bit of moisture, enough to make the, the, the wall a little bit wet. And so being the self-fix-it person, I took out my box cutter and opened up just a really small hole in that wall to see what was going on uh, behind it. And what I found was startling. I started with a small hole, but then I had to make it a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. And what I soon found was, uh, long story short, there was a, a sewer vent pipe made of iron that vented sewer vents, uh, sewer gas up through our roof, which is standard in, in any house. But unfortunately, our sewer vent pipe had cracked and broken open. So it was letting sewer gas moisture seep into our wall. And along with it, probably the, even the worst part, It also allowed, it was a gateway for cockroaches to enter into our house. And I'll spare you the details, but all I'll say is that I found lots of evidence that a lot of cockroaches were living behind our wall in our our bathroom in our house, which was just an 
a horrible thing to discover. So I quickly realized that this problem was not something that I could provide a, a solution for. This was disgusting. I didn't want to touch it. And so we called in the professionals. And as soon as they saw the problem, they did what we're doing today. They put on masks, they put on gloves, and they started tearing apart the wall more and more and more until they re revealed the entire problem and got into it. And long story short, they fixed the cause of the problem. They were able to replace that sewer vent pipe, but the unfortunate part is that they kind of left us in a mess. Uh, they left us with a hole in our bathroom in our bathroom wall. They left a hole in our bedroom wall where they also had to get into to access this thing. They left us with cockroaches all over our house. And they also left some uh, damaged tiles in our bathroom that we had to go back and eventually replace also. So they fixed the cause of the problem, but they didn't really fix the entire effect of it. And that's kind of what we're living in in these days. We know that Jesus has brought a solution for us that he, uh, he took on the cause effect of death and of evil and of wickedness. But as we live in this world, there is still some of the effect that is playing out. And in Romans chapter 5, Paul talks about two parts here that I just want to elevate for you guys today and bring to the forefront so you can see the beauty and appreciate the solution that Jesus brought for us. So in chapter 15, there's one thing I want to highlight for you guys, and it's this. It says, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, <clears throat> how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? And this is showing us the, the horrible effects of sin in the world. One man brought death for all, but doesn't that elevate how much more God had to do through Jesus to overcome what had happened? Here was this strong current built up over time, sin upon sin. This wasn't just one man's sin or one woman's sin. This was the sin of the world that had cascaded into a, into a force that no one could stand up against. And now here's your savior, Jesus, standing up against sin, even standing up against death. And he is there to take the brunt force of all of it. If the many died by the trespasses of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? He addressed the cause. And as we're about to see, he also addressed the effect of sin. Here's what the next verse says. The judgment followed one sin. The judgment talking about what happened with Adam and Eve. One sin, and then there was judgment for all people. And this brought condemnation, separation from God. But the gift, the solution, followed many trespasses and brought justification. The gift is that God declares you not guilty. Even though you're a descendant of Adam and a descendant of Eve, even though you were born with a sinful nature, because of what Jesus did, God looks down on you and says, you are not guilty. You're forgiven. You're loved. And there's one final verse I want to bring into this. It's actually just past the section where I finished a little bit earlier. But it, it really brings together what Ben started with and also what I get to finish with. And it's Romans chapter 5, verse 20. It says, The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. 
so that our awareness of sin might increase. It's as if the law was cutting open the walls to our heart and revealing the ugliness, the nastiness that was inside of there. But that had to happen so that we are aware of our condition. It's only an awareness of the problem that will give you an appreciation for the solution. And the solution is simply this. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Our natural response is to try to minimize our fault and to hide our guilt and to shift it to someone else. But God says, no, let's just open up the walls and see what's there so that my grace can become greater. And that's the beauty of God's solution. We don't need to hide. Jesus faced the brunt of that for us. And it's on days like today that we really remember the cost that it invoked on God himself. What I often find myself throughout the year doing is something good, something we should do, but what I often do is I celebrate the effect of what Jesus did. I celebrate that I'm forgiven. I celebrate that I'm a child of God. I celebrate that I am more than a conqueror and that heaven is mine and I have an eternal inheritance coming before me. I celebrate the effect of what Jesus did and we should do that because that's our identity and that shapes so much of our life and it sets us on a course for eternity. But it's days like today that we also get to celebrate the cause. The thing that drove Jesus to that cross was not that he was just called in like some plumber who had to mask up and put on gloves and go tear apart a wall and do some dirty work. No, this was your savior entering your world, your life out of grace. Pure, complete, unearned, unearnable love that saw you when you were dead in your sins and hostile to God, and yet God marched in. Jesus came in, and he entered the evil, entered the sin, and being labeled as a sinner himself, he faced the punishment that should have been for me and you. It's days like this. It's good for us to pause and celebrate the cause that led Jesus to do what he did. And it was his endless, incredible, amazing love for this world. So as we conclude tonight, we want to give you a little space to think about what that gift means for you. And as you let the problem of your personal sin just be opened up before God, what I want you to know is that no sin that he reveals is too much for him to forgive. Where sin increases, his grace increases all the more, all the more. And it's on that cross, we see that grace overflowing with the blood of God's own son. So I'm going to close with a prayer, and then we're going to give you a moment to reflect on what this means for you. Dear Father in heaven, when you looked at this world You had to invoke a judgment against it because of our sin and because of the darkness and because of the evil. We could not be with you. And yet, you provided a solution in the midst of it. Your solution was to enter into the darkness through your son, to enter into the evil, into the pain, into the suffering, to become part of it so that you could redeem us from it. And dear Jesus, on nights like tonight, as we reflect on what it must have been like for you, not just to physically suffer, but to suffer separation from your Father that we deserved, 
All we can do is sit back, look inside our hearts at all the ugliness there, and know that it was your pure love and grace that led you to do what you did. So I pray that those who are part of this service, those who are listening to this message, would be filled with hope that even though tonight is a night of darkness where we remember your death, that in just three days, you would declare victory over our sin and you would unlock death to make it simply a gateway to life with you. Dear Savior, I pray all these things in your name. Amen.
Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, He washed it white as snow. Thank you. 